Welcome to Talking New Energy, a podcast from Delta EE, the new energy experts. We'll be talking about how the energy transition is developing across Europe, with guests who are working at the leading edge of this transition. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. It's fantastic to see climate change rising up organisations' agendas. A really good example of this is cities declaring climate emergencies and their own net zero or carbon neutrality goals. These targets, visions and aspirations are are great. There's always got to be a clear goal, but they need to be backed up with a clear strategy, plan and action. And in this episode, we'll be delving into cities, the growing number of net zero declarations that cities are making, and looking what cities are actually doing, what's going on there, and what we can expect to see in the next years. To do so, I'm joined by three great guests who will help us explore this topic. Let's say hello. So first up, Sandra Fives, CEO and co-founder of Urbanomi, a subsidiary of EDF, the energy company. Hello, Sandra. Hello. Um, Sandra, I think we can assume our listeners will know who EDF is, but they probably don't know about Urbanomi. So can you tell us a little bit about Urbanomi and what you do there? Yes, with pleasure. So Urbanomy is basically trying to solve the dilemma between the reduction of energy consumption. Meanwhile, we are all increasing and we're trying to support the development of new electric uses, such as electric vehicles, the emergence of data centers, IoT applications. And at the same time, we try to reduce carbon emissions. So Urbanomy being a spin-off of EDF, coming from an expertise on the energy sector, We try to help our customers who are real estate developers, investors, promoters, and also local authorities to solve this issue. Okay, so you're helping them solve the issue. Are you helping them are you helping them do the the plan and the strategy or are you helping them implement and deliver? Are you getting involved in uh, delivering projects as well? Yeah, that's a key question. You're right, because we we come into place in the consultancy phase. So we provide consultancy, we come into place in the planning of their projects, which means that we help them build the vision, the strategy, the action plan. We build scenarios um, with technical and economic recommendations. And then we also help them in the visualization of their project so they can involve and engage with stakeholders around their project. Okay. However, as Urbanomy, we do not get involved in the implementation. For okay. this, we can either um, you, you know, work with other people in the in the market, or we can work with some of EDF subsidiaries who can also support in the implementation of the projects. Okay, that's clear. And how how wide geographically are you doing this? Is it is it just France? Is it France plus other countries? What's your reach? Our reach is actually the UK and Germany as a priority. Okay. Um, so our team is based in the UK in Germany, and we also have, including myself, some people in in Paris. Um, In France, we benefit from a a wide customer base from from EDF that we can do some cross-selling with. However, we're really proactive in the UK and Germany. Okay, and why those two countries? And do you have plans to expand your activity to other countries as well? Um, Why those two countries? Our analysis shows that in terms of maturity on the topic of sustainability, reaching net zero, um, and also because the core of what we do is providing an integrated vision. And I will maybe I will share a few words on this a bit later. Um, the UK and Germany are the two countries where 
the market is the most mature, the most ready for our okay. services. Um, so yeah. this is where for us there is most potential. In terms of yep. other geographies, we are also looking um, currently at the Middle East. Um, so we're looking at United Arab Emirates um, and maybe Saudi Arabia as two other potential markets. Okay, so you're looking at places where the cities are they're ambitious, they have those goals, they have the vision, but they need support in then that uh, that strategy, that action plan. Yes, I would say for the Middle East, it's a totally different. Um, a totally different environment, of course, and the yeah. challenge is a lot bigger in helping um, helping developers, helping the real estate world, uh, really um, integrating sustainability and net zero targets very early on in their projects. This is the challenge okay. there, as well as transforming the energy generation into a more renewable energy generation, which is very yeah. different to what we can see in the UK and Germany, of course. I can imagine, yeah. Okay. Thanks, Sandra. We'll come back to, to you uh, shortly. Um, my second guest is James Sterling, Communications, Engagement and Partnerships Manager at Bristol City Council in the UK. Hello, James. Hello. Thanks for having me. And thanks for joining. James, for listeners who don't know Bristol, it's not one of the biggest cities in, in the UK, but it, it is a reasonably sized city. Can you give us a few quick facts about the, the city? Yeah, sure. Um, so for those that, that aren't aware or haven't visited, Bristol is a is a core city. So it's one of the largest, um, well, top seven largest cities in the UK. We've got a population of about half a million um, and growing. And I'm very pleased to say that we were the first UK city to declare a climate emergency back in 2018. OK, and from that, what, what targets has Bristol or has Bristol set itself targets beyond declaring that climate emergency? Yeah, so, so prior to 2018, our, our target for car, um, carbon neutrality was to be carbon neutral by 2050. Um, when we set the target, um, obviously it was in line with kind of COP and, and government policy back in the day. Um, however, on declaring the climate emergency, we, we decided to set a more ambitious target um, to, to go faster and to um, up the scale and pace of delivery. So we set a new target to be carbon neutral by 2030. Um, but also for the council to become a carbon neutral organization um, by 2025. Okay, so that 2025 targets within the direct control of the council's activities, but the 2030 target, that includes everything in the city, presumably? That's right, yeah. So the 2025 is the council and its operations, so our, you know, our offices, our schools, housing, you know, libraries, museums and the like. And yes, the 2030 is, is citywide. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll come back to you shortly about how you're going about that. Um, Thanks. My third guest is Delta E expert and my colleague, Alex Vale. Hello, Alex. Hi, John. Um, Alex, you're looking across the, the net zero city space. Can you give our listeners a feel for how widespread this trend of climate emergencies and net zero cities is across Europe? Well, across Europe, it's difficult to count the number of cities which have declared a climate emergency. But worldwide, I would say that around 2000 cities have declared a climate emergency. So you would have approximately the same number that have set net zero goals. Uh, but it's still a pretty recent trend because the first declaration actually dates back from 2016 only. Yep. Okay. And a cynic might say that uh, declaring something or setting a goal 
is easy to do. It's an easy slogan. It's a nice goal to set. But um, how clear do you see cities are about how they're going to achieve that and the action that they need to take and the action that they are taking? That's a very good question. Um, well, first, I think I need to explain a little bit what net zero actually means. Um, so it basically aims at carbon emission not exceeding uh, carbon that is used or mitigated in a certain area. So here we're talking about cities. But what is actually accounted in carbon emissions, what we consider as the, the boundaries of a city is quite unclear. So we have this, this bold ambitions ranging from 2025 to 2050, but each account very different uh, carbon emitters, uh, they cover different boundaries, which uh, makes it very difficult to understand really the level of ambitions of cities. But yeah. so far, yeah. And what we've seen so far is that most cities don't really know what they're um, covering and hence it's difficult for them to really have an actionable uh, roadmap. Sandra, how does that match with your experience? Do you see the same or do you see, we'll come on to Bristol shortly, but uh, do you see cities in general really backing up that vision with the strategy plans and actions or at the stage where they've got the vision but they're trying to work out what to do next? Mm. Yes, I think maybe we should um, take a step back and see also what, what is done at a national level, because I think the um, the involvement and the, the empowering of cities is also matching with what is happening nationally. So I think in the UK right now, what we see is, is a good promising trend in the sense that we know that now the UK is halfway to meeting its net zero emissions targets. Um, which is which is good, um, and the the reductions in carbon emissions that have been made are mostly in, you know, more renewable energy generation, um, cleaner industrial processes, and also we've noticed that in 2019 transportation, uh, the fact of decarbonizing transportation has accounted for a fourth, one fourth of the reduction of carbon emissions. And I think there we see what cities can do at a more local level, especially on transport and mobility, um, yeah. also on renewable energy, local renewable um, uh, schemes, energy schemes uh, put into place at a local level. And the other reassuring point is that we know that roughly there is about 73% of the urban population in the UK that live in cities with net zero targets. So it shows that at the target strategy plan, um, and even if there is a target, there should be a start of an action plan to reach that target. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's showing that we are on track. There is there's a trend, a positive trend to to move and to go forward. In terms of, of implementation, what we see is that cities, like quite often, are are missing some financing of their project. This is yeah. often the the pain point for cities. Which is why the, the involvement of the private sector is absolutely crucial in, in, that, um, in those projects and the implementation of those projects. And this is why we see cities who are looking for investment partners as well as you know, industrial partners that can help them to implement that project. This is why also we believe at Urbanomy that we should also target people who take part in the change and the transformation of cities, such as developers uh, and the real estate world, which accounts for a good chunk of carbon emissions. So this is yeah. all this industry that needs to move forward as well. Okay, and it all needs to move forward, well, not perfectly together, but in a way together at the same pace and in the same direction. So yeah, it's a complex, um, it's a complex ecosystem then um, and complex 
between what's really in uh, national government's control and what the cities can do themselves. Well, James, Bristol has been one of the, the leaders in the UK. So you told us about your uh, your ambitions, your, your goals and targets. Can you tell us a bit about how you're going about that? Um, and yeah, what, what you're actually doing to bring those, uh, make those targets reality? Sure. So, I mean, declaring the climate emergency, you know, hugely important, uh, you know, the, the, the message that sends to, you know, neighbouring cities in, in the rest of the UK cannot be understated, but it, the, the work to get there was kind of quite a long time in the making. So we've been, you know, had a very, very interesting and very fruitful kind of relationship with energy as a city over the last couple of decades. You know, um, we've been investing our own capital over the years. Um, so the council now has invested over 60 million of its own kind of budgets. Um, a great deal of grant funding as well from Europe and from central government um, to invest in kind of, you know, clean tech or, you know, large kind of energy infrastructure. Um, so lots and lots of work there. But I, I think on setting the new target, we were really clear with ourselves that actually setting a target is one thing, but yeah. coming up with a roadmap um, and a methodology to actually getting to that target requires a lot of work. So, you know, almost immediately upon setting that target, we started to um, consult with city partners. We started to work with um, some consultancies to actually develop a roadmap um, and help us to build that kind of future strategy. Um, you know, un understanding that we were bringing target forward 20 years, essentially. Um, so we published last year um, uh, the One City Climate Strategy for Bristol, which sets out all of the things that we need to do. Okay. Can you give us the, the 60 million you mentioned of the council's money that you've invested? Can you give us a feel for one or two of the things that's been invested in? Is it things like mm. uh, district heating or community heating or, or yeah, what, what's that gone into? It's a, a little bit of everything, actually. So, um, I mean, one of our largest projects at the moment is a city centre heat network. Um, so we've invested, you know, tens of millions in uh, decarbonisation of heat and providing, you know, essentially kind of low carbon district heating sometimes uh, called uh, heat to million, uh, thousands of properties across the city. Yeah. So uh, our heat network supplies a thousand homes and a number of businesses now and, and more connections to come. Um, we're also the first UK city to build, um, manage and operate our own large scale wind turbines as well. So we've got those happily spinning away in the, the north northwest of the city as we speak. Okay, coming back to the point Sandra made about finance. So on one hand, 60 million is a lot. On the other hand, it probably isn't very much if you consider all the investments that are necessary to, to reach your 2025 and 2030 targets. So what's, what's Bristol's approach to that? Do you need the private sector how much of this can you do how do you work with the private sector how do you bring that capital into the city absolutely i mean yes yeah, 60 million is is a lot to a council um but in terms of the scale of the challenge it's it really is a drop in the ocean so you know looking at the target looking at our current trajectory um, through kind of you know annual investment we we know that we're never going to hit 2030 um in isolation you know yeah. it's um the, the, the scale and the pace of the challenge needed to deliver that is, is far greater than the council could ever bring to bear. So um, so our view was around partnership 
really, um, and a new approach towards delivering energy infrastructure in the city. So we launched um, in, in just before the climate emergency was declared, actually in 2018, uh, an initiative called City Leap. Um, and City Leap is essentially a, a large um, long-term partnership with the private sector to deliver up to a billion pounds worth of investment in the energy system over the next 10 years. Um, we're in the process of looking for that partner at the moment. So we're in a procurement um, to kind of establish who will join us on that venture going forward. Okay. And the advantage there are you've got one partner, a long-term partner. It's not a piecemeal approach where you have to tender for every single project you want to do, but you've got a partner that shares your vision, willing to make the investment and presumably able to get a return on that investment as well. Well, absolutely, yeah. I mean, it has to be a commercially viable proposition. So, you know, looking across all of the technologies, um, there are some fantastic investment opportunities in the city. So we did a lot of feasibility to look at the opportunities. Um, and, and that's essentially where the billion pound investment figure came from. But um, obviously lots of modelling as well in terms of what will an investor get out of this apart from, you know, a, a good feeling for, you know, having contributed to um, our journey to carbon neutrality. And politically, has that been hard? Because I've seen some cities want to do this themselves. Um, but mm. to work with the private sector, to it to be that joint venture type model, is that politically hard or was that actually quite straightforward to, to take forward politically? Um, it, it's been a long conversation. Um, I mean, I think I'd, I'd start by saying that the declaration of the climate emergency and the setting of the new targets had unanimous support across all parties in the city. So yeah. every single councillor, every single local politician voted in favour of that motion. Um, and that in itself is very telling. You know, it speaks to the the, the challenge that we face and, um, and, you know, the kind of political will within the city, which is great. I think, as you say, in terms of partnership between public and private sector, um, there have been you know sort of dalliances I suppose in the past and on a much smaller scale and I, th I think politically we're, we're we're getting a lot of support um, mm -hmm. and that's simply because there is really no alternative for us to deliver yeah. what we need yeah. to deliver um, so that you know there is always a risk any partnership is a risk um, yeah. but I will say the risk of doing nothing is is far greater much really yeah yeah, yeah. Sandra and Alex how if you look at other cities, do you see many other cities taking this approach Bristol's taking or some very different approaches? Um, Sandra, would you like to go first and, and then Alex? Yes, sure. Um, yes, it's a, it's a very interesting approach that, that Bristol has taken. And um, we, we do see other cities that also get highly involved in, well, first the, the climate emergency declaration, of course, but then setting up a strategy and, and, and the action plan and then running projects. Um, and I think there are a few a few exemplary uh, cities in the UK. We, we're actually working with one, um, well, it's not quite a city, it's more a county council, but um, we're involved in the um, local energy Oxford project. So in the, in the county council of Oxfordshire, and we're helping them on a specific project, which is South Cross Garden Village. So this is a brand new village that they're uh, building um, near to an existing village and how this can contribute to um, facilitating transportation at a local level, giving access to the population to um, Oxford, especially with 
decarbonized transport, but also giving access to affordable housing. Um, and it has high ambitions in terms of net zero targets as well for that specific scheme. So that's an example for me of um, another project undertaken at a local level, also involving local communities, which is an, an, another um, aspect I think that cities are great at, at doing. Um, they have to engage with the local stakeholders. There are yeah. plenty of residents and citizens who are highly interested in what will become their cities, what are the actions undertaken. And I think putting them around the table, taking into consideration the plans um, and their, their input into the plans um, is absolutely key to the success. So I, I see, you know, there is the financing aspect, which is vital, obviously, to, to implement yeah. projects. And then there is also the buy-in of the local population and making sure that you do something that will benefit to the people who currently already live there. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Alex, how about you in terms of approaches? Um, well, I agree with Sandra. There are a few exam exemplary cities, but overall, I would say that the Bristol approach of the joint venture is quite unique so far. Um, what we see mainly in the market is more fragmented projects. So you would have projects focusing on a single technology or a single site. We don't have such broad approach. And I think we still miss them a little bit because I think it's going to be hard to connect the points uh, at some, uh, after some progress are made. Yeah, OK, so that holistic view, James, that you described in Bristol, where you're looking at one partner, a whole multitude of product projects across the city, that billion pounds of investment. Um, Sandra, do you see anything else like that? Or would you agree with Alex? It's more more piecemeal or um, less big citywide partnerships with that level of ambition in Bristol? Yes, I have to say, if if I try to think of the other projects, they're probably not as wide and city scale as what is undertaken in Bristol. Um, also, sometimes because of the ownership of the land. So uh, a lot of the time it's linked to land ownership and who okay. who is involved and who has this this um, this ownership. So it if if it's quite scattered and you know split across different players, then it's it's harder to have this more integrated approach um, with a city ambition. Yeah. yeah. What about Germany, Sandra? Because the the German cities and towns have tend to had more powers and um, historically been involved more in implementation and ownership of utilities, for example, than in the UK. So do you see different approaches in Germany or is it uh, some similar aspects to what we talked about? Yes, it's it's quite different. You're right. It's um, it's very decentralized um, in terms of the management of the, the energy system. So there are uh, the model of Stadtwerke. So they are like local utilities working directly hand in hand with the cities. Um, and also, I would say the land and the cities themselves, the lenders, which are the equivalent of the county councils, shall we say, um, have um, a, bigger, um, a bigger empowerment in terms of decision making and budget associated with that decision making. So there is, again, a, a more decentralized uh, way of um, uh, yeah, approaching this topic at, at a local scale. Then in terms of actions, surprisingly, I don't see that the UK is lagging behind, you know, even though the model is 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 different. Um, quite the opposite, actually. The, the there are it's actually 
roughly at the same level in terms of the number when I look at the tenders coming out and the number of cities in Germany and in the UK that are now asking for support on building those strategies and those action plans and running the projects. The demand is quite similar on both sides, which shows to me that Germany is not more advanced. Um, yeah. And also, I would like to say in terms of the awareness of the population, uh, surveys that we are doing um, with citizens is showing that there is bigger awareness in the UK on climate change, climate emergency yeah. than there is in Germany, surprisingly, even though Germany yeah, has this image of a very sustainable country. Um, and the so Green Party having a lot and more power exactly yes yeah. So, yeah so i think it, it could be due to the the topic i think the uk has really embraced this topic of net zero it's it's now everywhere in across all industries um which is great um as long as it's behind it there are obviously action plans and, and real actions exactly. implemented exactly. but that also yeah. allows for popularization and democratization of the topic itself vulgarization of the yeah. topic and that's mm -hmm. really important if you want that buy-in from the local stakeholders as well yeah Alex, any other European countries that stand out or cities that stand out as examples from what you've looked at? Um, that's a very good question. I think for me, the UK and Germany are probably the, the leading ones as well. Uh, I would say that there are also a few cities that stand out like Copenhagen, uh, Amsterdam with very bold and innovative plans, but that's yeah. probably more scattered, I would say. It's, it's more about cities than a big country trend like we, we can see in the UK and in some other extent yeah. in Germany. Yeah. Okay. But it sounds to me like there's a growing amount of ambition. Um, it sounds like we're still, there's a lot of learning to do around the the action. It's quite straightforward to take, straightforward is maybe the wrong word, but taking action on specific projects or specific areas of land, I can see how uh, cities can take that forward. The approach you're taking, James, sounds more, I don't know whether it's unique, but um, it's certainly quite a, a bold and all-encompassing approach. What, if other people are listening, James, from other cities, what, what key learnings would you, would you share with them uh, from your journey? Well, Particularly yeah. that public-private partnership and the yeah, I know you're not there yet. You're still in the, the tender process, but uh, where you've got to yeah, that. Yeah. Yes, and I, I think, I mean, CityLoop's been kind of branded, not by us, but, um, you know, by Department of International Trade and lots of others as a, as a world first is something, you know, very unique. And um, it is it is definitely a game changer, I think, in terms of the way that local authorities can work um, in that holistic way that, that, that Sandra was describing. Um, I mean, I guess that the key learning for us is, that um, public sector, you know, local authorities should not understate the power that they have within their cities and within their regions. You know, there are um, a great deal of really attractive factors that would that would make any local authority a, a fantastic partner to work with. You know, not least kind of engagement in sort of you know planning process, ownership of assets and land, um, but also that kind of convening influence, that trusted brand that that local councils have. Um, and, you know, particularly, I think, in the wake of the pandemic, local councils and local authorities have become, you know, a real um, kind of hub, I suppose, for, for public information and a real trusted voice in, in communities. So I would say definitely, you know, always open to have a conversation from a Bristol perspective with local authorities, but definitely kind of know your worth, I suppose, is the, is the message there. Yeah. OK. And in terms of the tender process, 
I know you definitely won't be able to say who who's involved in that, but have you had a lot of interest? Have, do you feel it's going to be a challenge to to get the last part of that done, to get an agreement in place that gives the private sector partner the returns they want and gives the uh, Bristol City Council what, what you want? Yeah, so it, it started out with a, a great deal of interest, actually. It surprised even me as a as a, as a communications um, person. Uh, you know, we, we managed to kind of market the city in, in such a way that um, attracted a you know phenomenal amount of interest. So we had, you know, 200 nearly expressions of interest um, from a range of organisations across the UK, across Europe and, and, and across, you know, the Far East and, and, and further afield. So huge amount of interest um in terms of bristol's proposition and what we what we bring and what we offer um we've whittled that down now so as part of the tender process we're, we're down to our final three bidders we've done a, a shortlisting or a, or a down selecting if you will um so we're down to, to yeah three shortlisted bidders which are um eon and marabeni as a consortium amoresco and vattenfall and um Angie and Sumitomo as another consortium. So, um, so three, you know, absolutely huge um, potential partners for the future, and you know, all of whom could could play a fantastic part in in our in our journey. Well, it sounds fascinating. It sounds like that could be a model from the interest you've got from those part, uh, companies that are involved that you describe. Um, that could be a model that could be replicated across cities across UK and Europe and, and beyond. Um, it's it's definitely, you know, oh, sorry, it's, it's definitely one of our key objectives actually is to create something that's replicable. So we've been working, you know, very closely with central government, with the, the local DNOs, um, with again, Department for International Trade to fully understand, I guess, the, the potential of a, a city leap model and how you could create a city leap for, you know, other core cities and other regions. Sandra and Alex, briefly from each of you, see potential for that model in other cities? Yes, absolutely. I think it 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 fits um, it fits for it, it's suitable, obviously, for Bristol. Um, and as we said, Bristol is one of the top ten UK cities, so maybe it's not applicable to to all cities. And and that's why we need to have different models depending on the scale, yeah. depending on the ambitions. Um, uh, but yes, replicability is. It's that's always the the tough bit is being the the first one to do it. Uh, yeah. You always have a first of a kind is good because you you attract attention and you um, it's and therefore there is also a lot of interest and people who who want to support and get involved. Um, but at the same time, of course, it's it's a journey where we have to learn and and I think replicability and embarking those lessons yeah. learned for the cities and I'm sure Bristol is involved in in, in cities, communities, and different yeah. uh, associations where they can share those learnings. So that's that's key. Yes. Yeah. yeah, the leading edge, but also sometimes a bleeding edge, but hopefully not too much of that. Um, <laughs> Alex, uh, do you see similar potential? Absolutely. I think while well, replicability is always difficult, but best practices, uh, best working technologies, ideas, definitely things to, 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 to keep an eye on after the, the Bristol project. Okay, well, let's bring out the Talking New Energy crystal ball and uh, set the dial this week to 2030. And the question for each of you is this. Um, if we look beyond the what national policies and regulation will achieve, so what the German government, the UK government will achieve through their national policies. How much 
difference will cities be making to our progress to, to net zero? So you might want to answer this from your own perspectives from Bristol or Sandra from the cities you're working with, um, Alex from across the industry. But yeah, how, how much difference will cities be making by 2030? Um, let's start with James and then Sandra and then Alex. Well, um, firstly and foremostly, hopefully, you know, Bristol will be the first uh, city to reach carbon neutrality. <laughs> <laughs> Yours is quite easy, yeah, because and, you can't and, say and, it won't. <laughs> and, lead, and lead by example um, there. But um, I think importantly, we're, you know, not only in terms of decarbonisation, but we'll have also taken, you know, my fellow Bristolians on a journey with us, you know, um, a life changing journey, which will improve, you know, a, a lot of aspects of everyday life, you know, clean up air quality, um, improve the energy efficiency of, of, of homes, um, you know, a just transition uh, for, for new green jobs. Um, and I guess importantly, you know, I was nodding along, your listeners won't have noticed this, but um, when Sandra was talking earlier about ownership and taking communities on that journey with you and, and, and ensuring that people have a, a meaningful stake, and that's, that's really something that we want to build. Um, and we want to show you know the rest of the uk how we can work with community organizations with community energy groups to um to to, to play an integral part in that that transition okay well best of luck in the next years um Thank you. sandra how about you yes I, I i totally support um what uh, what james was saying so i think the, the biggest impact that cities can have is the involvement of local communities um uh, the vulgarization, the democratization of the topic, and, and ensuring that there is also a change in behaviors at, a, in, at an individual level. So that's, that's the power of cities. They can, they can show, they can lead by example, and then embark a whole population that will also change their habits, the way they consume, the way they move. Um, so that's absolutely key. And I, I'm not sure this is something that can be done at a national level. Um, yeah. So that's the first point. Then a second point, I think also in, in its in the conception of cities, in the planning, in the urban planning of cities, you can also have a big impact at a local level. And these are decisions that are really relevant for the local level and don't uh, depend on the on the national um, uh, requirements. So I'm, I'm thinking specifically there is a new trend in, in urban planning at the moment, which is the so-called 15-minute city. Um, it's this idea of being able to access any essential um, part of our lives, work, um, housing, transport, culture, education, health services within a 15-minute walk reach or a 15-minute cycle reach, so decarbonized way of transport reach, let's say. Yeah. Um, so this accessibility at a local level as well is, again, going back to changing the behaviors of how people move within the city and uh, plan their days and plan their lives is also having a great impa impact on, on reaching net zero. So for me, it's another way through the local planning um, input of cities and directions they can give, how in hopefully in 2030 they can really have an impact. And on this, we see great leads from cities across the world, you know, be it in Australia, in France, in Copenhagen, that was mentioned by Alex earlier, um, in Spain, in Barcelona. It's there are many cities who in Dublin as well in Ireland so many cities are integrating this at a local scale in the way they want to engage with urban planning going forward. Okay, okay so yes yeah, some clear ways there that by 2030 cities will be making a difference beyond to add to and go beyond the national policies. Thanks Sandra. Alex last but not least from you. I'm not sure I have much to say um, 
everything was said already. Um, no, I think honestly that ultimately national government will have key role to play in the net zero transition, yeah. uh, probably bigger than the role they have right now. And I'm pretty sure we're going to have new regulations, uh, incentives put forward by national government. But I completely agree with Sandra and James that um, the cities have a real connector or a neighbor role uh, in, in this regard with the local committee, with the local businesses. Yeah. Uh, they're going to be the connection between this bigger scale incentives and the, the local uh, community buy-in. Um, so that's the first thing. And if I just have the time to have a second thing, I think that uh, cities are also great test beds to see what works and what doesn't work. And it's going to show the best practices and what should be done at the national level to ensure that everything is, is following this uh, working. Yeah, it's a good point. They can, they can move faster than national policy can move so they can uh, innovate quicker. Yeah. Well, that's a, a positive and exciting note to finish on. So uh, it's been, yeah, excellent to delve into what's actually going on. Sandra, thanks for your perspectives working across cities. James, been great to hear about Bristol. And Alex, great to hear your, your wider view of the market. Um, so yeah, thanks Sandra very much for joining. Thank you, John. Thanks, James. Thank you. Thanks, Alex. Thanks, John. And thanks as always to everyone listening. We hope you enjoy the podcast and look forward to welcoming you back next week. Thanks and goodbye. If you're as passionate about the energy transition as we are, then please keep in touch. You can follow us and me on Twitter, LinkedIn, or subscribe to the podcasts on your chosen podcast platform. If you like the podcast and like sharing, then please do rate us. And to listen to archived episodes, to read transcripts, and to see the latest Delta EE insights, then please visit www.delta-ee.com. Thank you.